Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Uh, We are well into 2018, and everybody who I'm in touch with, either directly through my social friends or people I do business with or conferences where I speak or the people who are participating in the Potential Mastermind Project – Everybody is excited about 2018. So far, the economy's going well. There seems to be a, a lot of hope. There seems to be a lot of optimism, and people feel real good about the potential that lies ahead. So it's even more fun to be hosting this show, to be hosting cool things entrepreneurs do. And as you know, if you listen to the show regularly, I try to talk to people of all different worlds, a lot of solopreneurs. We started off with interviewing a lot of people who had just walked away to do their own thing, and now we're trying to interview people who have done slightly larger things and grown them into uh, things maybe bigger than even they thought when they started, or, or maybe they knew because they had the vision. And today's show is going to be right along those times. Today's show, I am interviewing somebody who I don't know him personally, but I've been a big fan because he's been here in Austin, Texas, doing some really amazing things in the world of business. Gosh, probably close to a decade or so ago, he founded the Acton School, which is uh, an, an advanced MBA program. And now they are doing stuff with the Acton Academy, which is what I want to talk to him today about a lot, which is is helping expose kids really to the real world in a way that spawns that creative entrepreneurial spark that I personally believe is inside everybody. So hold on to your hats. I am, I'm fortunate to have him here. Today I have Jeff Sandifer. And Jeff wrote a book a long time ago that, that I read. I actually was in a pilot program when they first started doing this sort of outside program through Acton on the hero's journey. Uh, and then uh, his wife just released a book on parenting uh, this way for kids. And so we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. Hey, Jeff Sandifer, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, Tom, I'm excited. I've never gotten to sit at the cool kids table before. So this, this is a big plus. Yeah. Well, you know, I always said that, you know, the, the, that I didn't either. So I just invented the cool kids table. And now I get to invite people like Jeff Sandifer to sit here with us for a half hour and, and just share, share your way. So Jeff, I'm not a real big reader of bios on the show. You know, I get these bios from people's PR agents and they're like three pages long and, and, and that's great. But I like to start off by just asking you, Jeff, who is Jeff Sandifer and, and what do you do? What are you all about? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, and um, I'm a, a Socratic teacher. So as you said, I've uh, uh, been at the Acton Business School for 12 years since we started it. And then um, this is actually my 36th year of being a Socratic teacher. But along the way, I've also started um, eight or nine companies, mainly energy companies in different areas. So I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur who loves to teach. So these days, tell us about the, the, the Acton School and then also the, the Acton Academy. What, what are those? I don't think I could ever describe them as well as you could. Well, uh, the, the Acton MBA makes three promises. Um, you think of it as they're like the Navy SEAL school for MBAs because it's 100 hours <laughs> a week, uh, led all by successful entrepreneurs who will never answer your questions. They will only ask you questions. It's 200 case studies. Uh, it's... Um, you know, it's designed to answer three questions. Do, do you want to learn how to learn, learn how to make money, and learn how to live a life of meaning? I want so to do. I want to do all yeah. three of those things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ask me more questions, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's that's a, it's a lot of fun. We uh, I was in fact was teaching in the MBA this morning um, a, a case of all things on um, 
steel pile driving hammers. So uh, we, 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 do, we do cases on just about anything. It was a fascinating discussion. Uh, the MBAs were all uh, geared up and ready for it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Can you tell us a little bit about steel pile driving hammers? What, why is that interesting? Well, it turns out this uh, a company had invented a new way uh, to put these basically pads on top of hammers. So when you jackhammered them into the ground to build a building, uh, they would go in about 30% faster. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, that sounds like a mundane, uninteresting product, uh, except you had the chance to have $60 million a year in profits <laughs> if, if you could execute on the launch. And so the whole case was about how do you price this new innovation? Uh, how do you roll it out? Uh, are you going to roll it out fast and risk a lot of money and price high? Or are you going to be careful uh, with, with a soft launch? And uh, so that was what we debated for 80 minutes. So when you talk about Socratic, I, I understand I'm a big believer in that. I, I interview people as part of my living, so I, I, I like asking sure. a lot of questions. But when you talk about Socratic education and having a discussion like you had today in the MBA program where you teach, what, is that, what does that look like? If the MBA class, I don't know how long it is, let's say it's two hours long, what does a right. Socratic session look like? Well, so if you're preparing for that case, and you'll, you'll generally prepare three cases a day, uh, it's anywhere from 10 to 30 pages long. You might read another 30 pages of notes about how to price or how to launch something. Um, you walk in, Tom Singer's ready. I call on you to open. You didn't know you were going to open. And you are the entrepreneur. I mean, you're there. You have to make a decision. And then people either jump in and defend you or they argue with you. And for uh, 80 minutes, we have a discussion. So for that 80 minutes, does it sometimes get heated? I mean, do the students kind of go after each other? What's that about? Well, if it's not heated, it's not interesting. So yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's all in good fun. Um, it's all, um, well, I'd say it's play acting. So people really get into it. So you really feel like you're there and you feel like the decisions you make are going to matter. So coming out of that MBA program, and I believe it's it's a solid 100 hours a week for close to a year, coming out of that MBA program, what, what are the advantages that people then have in the business world? Well, it's mainly like trying to collapse 10 years worth of learning into a very short period of time. So you've seen these amazing number of patterns of uh, how businesses work. You learn how to use tools. You learn on hands-on. You sold door-to-door. Uh, you've done real live digital sales uh, simulations where you actually sold real products. So on every extent, it's like going to boot camp. It's like playing the game at a high speed for 10 years, being led by people who've been incredibly successful themselves. And with this whole overlay of what do you want to do with your life to find a calling to change the world? Well, and I have to say, I've lived in Austin, Texas for 26 years, so double the amount of time that the school has existed. So I've met a number of people who have gone, some of my friends and others who have gone through the program. And I will say that the people who come out the other side, they are fired up and they're doing amazing things. So you're clearly onto something with that. Now you've taken this concept of teaching and you've taken it to the Acton Academies, which I didn't realize until we started talking before we got started. I didn't realize that you were outside of Austin, that there were 63 locations around the world. Tell everybody what the Acton Academy is. Well, it's been a real uh, experiment. And uh, I have to say, I work for my wife who really founded it. So I'm, we're co-founders, but it was her idea. We uh, didn't want to put our two beautiful boys, Charlie and Sam, into a traditional school after they'd enjoyed Montessori. So we started over with a blank sheet of paper, uh, seven young children, and we rethought how school would work. And in fact, it's much more like Google than it would be a school. And, um, you know, we thought we were just doing something for our children. 
It was uh, a one-room schoolhouse, really, for the 21st century. It was hands-on projects, the best in online gaming and gamification where that worked, Socratic discussions, and real-world apprenticeships. And um, the place just took off. So like most things entrepreneurial, it wasn't planned. And we kept uh, innovating. We kept uh, failing early, cheaply, and often. <laughs> and we had some friends approach us after about the first 18 months, and they wanted to start one. So we said, well, we'll just give you all of the materials we have. And suddenly we learned. We were learning more from that new act, and then they were learning from us. So we, we had a, a parent who wanted to move out to California and start one. We let her. And we were learning more from her after about six months than, than she was from us. And then from there on, it just exploded. And now we have 63 uh, Actons around the world in 13 countries and 24 states and pro provinces. And Tom, even more exciting than that, we'll open probably 90 more Actons this year. Oh and we gosh. have over 7,000 applications to open a learner-driven community. So it, it's just a wonderful place where young people learn from each other. Again, adults never ask, answer questions. <laughs> and they become incredibly self-governing and self-managing. And again, it's it's even at the elementary level, it feels more like you're inside Google than you're at a school. So it's K through twelve. Is that the? It is. It's first first grade through first grade. Um, through high school, and we'll have our first uh, graduates this year. So it's exciting. You know, we finally had our first group go all the way through, mm. and our and our first group will graduate this year. Oh, how fun! How fun is that? So my uh, my own kids went to Montessori school, and they've both been you know just to brag on my kids for a minute, they've both been fairly successful compared to just you know general you know, the way things could have gone, I guess. And people always ask us, you know, wh what did you do? As if, and my wife and I don't know. We just, two people who had two daughters. We don't, people are, what did you do? And the only thing we did is, A, we loved them unconditionally. So it was like, you know, yeah. pick your path. But B, they went to Montessori school. When you said that about your two boys, I, I smiled because we had a really good experience with them going to Montessori school. And the problem was there was nowhere really for them to go after that. Now, around Austin now, there's a few more choices of schools, uh, but there was nothing that was really appealing. And I actually, you know, from what I've seen about the, the Acton uh, Academy here in Austin, I have always wished that it was around when, especially my oldest, because she's always been driven by this type of stuff. She wanted to, to work in business from fourth grade forward. And she went to traditional elementary school and just the local public school. Same thing with middle school. But for high school, she begged us. I mean, literally begged us if she could go to the Liberal Arts and Science Academy, which is part of the public school district. So there was no cost. But for where we live in the town here in Austin, it's 26 miles from our house. And the bus came wow. at 620 in the morning. They did have a bus, but it wow. came at like 620 in the morning. And the, for her freshman year, the bus came to the corner, like one house away from us. But her sophomore and junior year, we had to drive her to an elementary school about two miles away, which made it a little bit, you know, hectic to be out of the house at 615 every day to get her to the bus. And if you missed it, you were driving 26 miles. So uh, and then senior year, she had a car. She drove herself. So it was no longer my, pro it was no longer <laughs> my problem. But the fact that it was just a little different and I mean, it wasn't as as cutting edge as what you do really did set her up and they challenged the kids. They expected high level from the kids who were in there. And, you know, she's now a junior in college at Carnegie Mellon University and, you know, she's thriving in the environment that she's in. And, and when people ask her, how did you get there? She she credits to getting out of the general population and going to something different 
that worked for her. So her sister, of course, wanted to do that. And her sister is at the Ann Richards School for Young Women Leaders. And again, they encouraged them to try new things, to get out of the box. And then they, their expectation levels of the kid, I think, are different. So I, I think those things have been good for my kids. I think what you're doing is at a whole, whole different level. So now that you've had the kids go all the way through, where are these kids looking to go? I mean, how do you go from, from the Acton School to you know, Stanford? I mean, how do, you, how do you fit in? How do you go to more of a traditional college? Well, it's, it's a great question. And, and the hardest thing we have is that the young people actually believe they need college. I mean, so colleges need them. And uh, our graduates who are applying are having no problem getting in college. But you know, they even question for a place like Stanford or high in college, do I really need to go? And when we're seeing the high cost of college these days. Um, I still think people need the credential at least for a while longer. But these young people are prepared to uh, go off and start their own businesses, uh, to be leaders around the world. Uh, they've used to, they're used to being very independent. And uh, the whole school is founded on the thought that each child's a genius and deserves to find a calling that will change the world. So they're going to go change the world. College may be a means to that end, but college is in no way an end for them. And so um, it, it's a totally different perspective when you see college as a tool rather than a necessary credential. And um, so, so it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what they go out and do. Well, and I, I actually agree with you. I think that it's still important for the short term for a lot of people, especially if you want to go to work for, for a big company for a while to get sort of that experience and things like that. But I do believe that it is changing. And I was never an academic. I, I look back now that I've, I've written books and I, I read constantly. I wish I had been this hungry for stuff when I was young. But, but you know, my mom was ill when I was in high school. I kind of used it as a crutch. My dad kind of left me alone. And I was never exposed to the type of things that I'm exposed to now living in an entrepreneurial city like Austin. And I wish there had been something like, like what you guys are doing. Cause I think that, you know, I probably would have started my own business 20 years earlier. Cause as it turns out, that's what interests me. That's why I host a show called cool things entrepreneurs do. But what do you think leads people to entrepreneurship? I mean, right now it's really trendy, but you've been doing this for 20, 30 years. What do you think leads people to it other than like the trendy stuff right now? Well, I, you know, I think for most of the successful entrepreneurs I see, it's, it's a desire for freedom. And at the at the Acton Business School, um, we always talk about you know, being rich is not about how much money you make because you can always spend more than you make. It's about spending less than you bring in, so your time belongs to you. So I think most true entrepreneurs are really seeking freedom. And um, same thing at the academy, you're, you're looking to use your greatest gifts in a way that brings you great joy, serving others. And that people that don't understand that entrepreneurship is really about service and servant leadership are missing the point. And you know, the young people that are coming out of the academy uh, understand that you know, first you use your own skills and you use them in ways um, that make bring you joy. But there's no real true joy unless you use that to serve someone else. Well, and I loved what you said earlier where you said, you know, the, the, the goal of it or the thought process behind it is that every kid's a genius and every kid has some strength and they can go forward and do that. I, I really believe that that has a, a, a true thing. If, if, you, if you tell the kid you're capable, you, you, right. you, know, you can accomplish, you know, they might find their own path to get there and there may be some bumps in the road. But as long as they believe that they can do it, and I think that's something that we've, we've undermined in our society. I think we've taken that away from far too many people. So cheers for what you're doing. Well, when we talk about the, the, the schools founded on the hero's journey, the archetypal myth of, of uh, the, the hero who sets out, uh, has the courage to cross the threshold and battle giants and, 
and overcome dragons on their way to the Holy Grail. I mean, that's the plot for every great movie and novel that's ever been done. But Star we Wars. talk about that. <laughs> Star Wars, exactly. And, and, and that's why young people get it at age six and they understand it at age 10 and age 16. But, but the important thing that you learn at the academy is being a hero doesn't mean you win. That's celebrity. Being a hero means you get back up. And if heroes get back up enough, they often win. But that's not the point. The point is having the courage to go out and try. And in the process of looking for the Holy Grail, the heroes changed in the process. And so it's this continuing willingness to put yourself out there, to try hard, typically in in real world, hard skills, and uh, to be willing to get knocked back down and knock down and get back up and dust yourself off and try again. God, I just had a conversation like yesterday with somebody who had started off trying to become a professional speaker and and stuff like I do now for my living uh, about the same time. And we had known each other and now we lost touch for like five or six years and they'd gone back and gotten a job in corporate America and, and they're very happy. But he said, how come you made it and I didn't? And I'm not that profound, you know, to, to come up with it as eloquently as you just said it. But my comment was, I said, the only thing I knew is 100% of the people who quit wouldn't make their living as a speaker. And so even though I hemorrhaged cash for three or four years, I just kept trying and then people started hiring me. And, and you know, it's the way you said it was much more eloquent, but that's how I was able, you know, I'm not famous. I haven't written a New York Times bestseller. I, I wasn't the first employee at Google. And yet people hire me to come in and speak at their conferences. And part of it was, is I just kept showing up. And eventually meeting planners started saying, wow, you've been around a long time. And so my answer to him was, I go, longevity plays a lot to, you know, has a lot to do with it. The fact that I just kept trying eventually got me, uh, got me the gig. So that was, well, 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 and and I know how good you are. And I also know that that took a lot of deliberate practice. I mean, it took, you know, not only getting back up, but becoming very good at a skill. And it's another thing at the Academy, we see young people all have some sort of gift. And when you say they're a genius, we'll get pushback that says, well, not everyone has 180 IQ. And my response is, you need to look up the word in the dictionary. It doesn't say that. It says a special gift. Mm. And so you have these special gifts, and like you do as a speaker and, and a host, but it's also something that you have to cultivate and you have to work at and you have to have that discipline practice. And I will tell you, it, it is absolutely extraordinary when these young people are freed up and they don't have an adult authority kind of lording over them. They're learning at a 10x normal mm-hmm. rate. I mean, we're we're having two thirds of our middle schoolers have already placed out of high school, mm-hmm. and it's just um, it's just extraordinary what young people can do when they're unleashed. When my daughters were in Montessori school, and this is preschool, preschool, kindergarten, it was the same type of thing. As you were self paced, and yeah. by the year of my my daughter had finished kindergarten by like halfway through the three year program, and it, and they were set up for that. A lot of kids had done that, but it was like you know some kids just. That's what they do. And I think that, you know, that's because no one's told them it takes three years. They just say, here, yeah. you have to accomplish all the things in this room. And it was like, all right, well, we'll just every day we'll work through the room. Uh, well, we, we, we had one young man recently that went all the way from pre-algebra all the way through calculus. And in fact, he designed the newest calculus course for Khan Academy. And, <laughs> and he did all that in less than a year. And, you know, you would call him a math savant, and he's actually good at math, but the truth was he spent seven or eight hours every day doing that because he was so turned on by it. And if you do the math, if you spend seven or eight hours doing math, you will get all the way through calculus in one year. But it's yeah. the desire to find something you're good at and really work that hard at it 
yeah. that uh, that makes the magic happen. Absolutely. So what advice, Jeff, do you have? If the people who listen to the show, many of them have started a business or maybe they're working in corporate America and they feel their ladder's against the wrong wall and they want to go do something else. What advice do you have for people who say, God, I'm so inspired by by the hero's journey and what Jeff has talked about and what they're, I wish I was one of these kids who went to the Acton Academy. What can they do now at any age to, to join the ranks of entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, I as a Socratic teacher, I, I, I really don't give advice because I, I don't know <laughs> the answer to something like that. I, I will say the questions I would ask are, um, wh- what's your passion? And, and for most people that sounds like a, um, uh, like a canned question, but the word passion actually doesn't mean what excites you. The, the technical root of the word means, what are you willing to suffer for? So my question for someone who wants to go out and do their own thing is, what are you willing to suffer for? What matters enough that's going to bring you know less chaos and less pain? You're going to bring something good into the world. What are you willing to do and suffer for to serve someone else? And I think it's just that simple. And if you find something that you care about, um, then the suffering, in fact, isn't suffering at all. It is hard, but you push through it. And like you say, if you stay at it long enough and you care enough, uh, there's a very high li- likelihood you're going to be successful. And if not, it's still worth it. So I've spent the last year or so working on some new material called, and I call it the paradox of potential because, you know, everybody I meet who wants to start a business or every kid I meet who's trying to do something, I mean, everybody's got potential. I mean, that's a, that's, it's just there. I mean, that's part of being, being human, but you know, companies have been identifying, the large companies have had high potential training programs where they identify the people in these big, you know, Googles and and Procter and Gambles, et cetera. They say, oh, Becky and Bob and Ted and Mary, you know, they're going to be in the high potential program for whatever reason. And. And someone like Harvard went back a couple years ago and did a study and said, okay, 30 years of having these hypo programs turned out that the leaders of the company weren't necessarily, some of them were, but weren't necessarily all the people who went through the high potential training programs when they were young professionals. And there were lots of reasons why, but what they discovered was there is a gap, a real life gap between potential and results. So what do entrepreneurs have to do if they find their passion and, and they think they know what they're good at and they have the potential what do they have to do to actually achieve? Well, I think you have to find one skill that you're going to work on and that you're going to deliberately practice every day. You're going to measure your progress. It doesn't matter if it's you know, shooting free throws or learning to become a better writer. You've got, to, you've got to work on it and you've got to have that whatever the skill is that's critical for you. I think one of the reasons that high potential study turned out uh, to give surprising results was the world has changed a lot in the last 10 years. Uh, back in the early days, you know, you would go get an MBA, you go to work for IBM, you'd work your way up to the vice presidency and life was set. And so if you looked at a high potential person for that, it was control, order, doing as you were asked to do, uh, being uh, properly respectful of authority. Uh, these days, that's not who wins. The people who can come up with new ideas, who can, who can self-manage, who can self-govern, who can go create new things – uh, it's a whole new world. And so I think the whole meaning of the term high potential has changed. And it's really more self-potential, of course, working with others. But you've got to be able to self-ignite these days. You can't just follow the crowd mm-hmm. and uh, follow any set road. Well, and that, that sort of speaks to me. And what you said earlier you're, you're about me, you're right, is the fact that I didn't just show up and, and become the speaker who could captivate an audience and be the master of ceremonies for three days. It was – I read an article got 15 years ago, and it was a lady named uh, Roxanne Emmerich, and she's a legend in the professional speaking world. And she said, look, you've got to do this 300 times before you'll start to be good. 
And at yeah. the time, I had probably done it 25 times or 30 times. And I thought, 300, that'll take me years. Oh my God, what is she's crazy. And now that I've done close to 700 or maybe even over 700 presentations, I think, God, she was right. I kind of just got started at 300. And this podcast, you're like number 328, and I've probably over 300 of those are interview shows. And people are starting to tell me, God, your interviews are getting so much better, or I really like your, your, your you know, interview style. And it's that magical number that I've done 300 of them. And what the audience doesn't know, and I'll share with them, is I used to stick pretty close to a script. I'm doing most of this interview without even glancing at what I ask most people because I have the confidence. I don't think I could just have a chat with Jeff Sandifer three years ago on my show. You know, I had to get to this point where I can interview people, you know, and just kind of play off of what they say. So I think you're absolutely right. It's finding that one thing and then working on it and working on it and being okay with it taking a long time. Sure, sure. Well, and the, you know, the, I think the paradox of the business you're in now is, even as a speaker, the trick is listening, listening to your audience, watching their reactions. You're listening so well in this interview, so you can follow it. I mean, you're you're playing a jazz improv game, but it's because you're listening so well. And if each of us are listening carefully, the other one respecting, we're going to have a lot better conversation. I've never thought of myself as a jazz artist before, Jeff. I love you. I'm going to have you, <laughs> I'm going to have you back on lots of episodes. I like this. Hey, I got a couple more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Sure. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jeff Sandifer. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, check out the offer they have for the listeners of this show at podfly.net slash cool things. And I say it all the time, this show never would have happened if I hadn't come upon the people from Podfly Productions. They have been a great vendor for now coming up on three and a half years. So check them out. So Jeff, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing in your career, in your business with Acton? What's the coolest thing you're doing right now? Well, the most fun, cool thing is um, our son, Charlie, uh, who just finished a TEDx talk, and I know your daughter did one. Uh, He has actually hacked his way through Acton Academy and now is on his own hacking high school and college. And the reason he's doing that is so the two of us can uh, travel around the world going paragliding. So we are actually jumping off of mountains with a parachute over us, and we've been to – well, we've been – we're on our way to to, – Columbia next week. We've been to Chile. We've been to Hawaii. We've how, been to Colorado. How old is Charlie so now? Uh, Charlie's sixteen. Nice. So, so he'll uh, he'll finish uh, two years of high school and three years of college in the next eighteen months or so, as he's paragliding around the world. So that's the most fun thing I'm doing is getting to travel the world with him. Oh, that that's awesome. Well, I love to ask the people who come on this show, and and I'm kind of on pins and needles for your answer. I love to ask the people who come on this show. Who out there in the world of entrepreneurship they admire? Because we could talk about Jeff Sandifer and all the great things that you and your wife have done in the world of education. I mean, it's it's amazing things that you guys are doing. But I love it because I think entrepreneurs are, are really good observers. So I like to say, who do you say? That person's cool. Well, yeah, the, the people that I admire and enjoy the most, um, some of them, some of them your listeners will know, others they won't, aren't aren't famous. Um, they're really the people that teach with me at the Acton School of Business. I mean, people like Jack Long, who started Lone Star Overnight, or Jeff Sarah, 
uh, who's built a billion dollar life uh, business. And, and I don't admire them. I think of Stephen Tomlinson and Ed Perry. I don't admire them for their business success. I admire them for the fact that they love to ask the right questions and they love to reinvest in the next generation. And I think that's uh, they're just a joy to be around. They're a blast. And, and we have a lot of fun. So the people I admire are, are the ones that um, do what you do. They listen well, and they have an interesting conversation, and they're out there helping other people. Well, so I haven't seen Ed Perry in a long time, and uh, I'm social friends with, with Stephen Tomlinson, but Ed Perry was always so good to me when I used to run into him around the business community. So, yeah. it, you know, both those guys, I don't know the other ones, but both those people also have two of the biggest hearts of anyone I've ever met yeah. in the business community. Absolutely. So and, they, and, they've, they've, and they've invested in me like they've invested in you. So when I when I think about who I admire and who I love, it's 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 those guys. Awesome. So, and that's going back to your son, Charlie, that's cool that he just did did a, did a TEDx talk. That's as a parent. I mean, I've, I've not been invited to do a TEDx talk and I'm a professional <laughs> speaker. I'm a little jealous of my 15 year old but uh, but but she she did that and it was one of the most proud moments we've we've had as being her parent and there's been a lot of them but so yeah cool those those are fun a little nerve-wracking but fun when they come off <laughs> well it was there was a lot of rehearsal and there was a lot of thinking uh-oh what did we allow her to get into and then of course she stepped up to the occasion the day she did it and just nailed it so it's like oh phew so hey uh the last question I'm going to ask you is what do you do to give back to the greater good? Cause I think that I think entrepreneurs have to do more than make money. I, I think it's, it's, it's that requirement that we do something to leave something behind. So what do you do? Well, I, you know, the thing I love to do is, is to be at the Academy. I mean, I'm a full-time middle school and we call it launch bad, but high school guide now that's Acton's word for a teacher. So I'm in there every day, uh, getting to be around some of those interesting people I know. And when I'm not at the Acton Academy, I'm at the Acton School of Business. So I get to spend all my time around, as you described them, high potential young people and then serving all the Acton owners around the world, M- many of whom are or actually all of whom are just people like you and me and like Jeff Sarah and Jack Long. Uh, they're entrepreneurs uh, who want to do something for their family. So I, I'm not sure that's giving back because I get so much joy out of it. Maybe it's investing forward. But it's just uh, – it's a terrific life, and it's a lot of fun. And, and I t- told you I've mentioned my wife's new book, uh, Courage to Grow, that Laura Sandifer just wrote, is all about our journey at Acton Academy and how it changed our family. So if, if you want to read about how you can be on a hero's journey as a family, um, I, I'm definitely plugging her book because oh, Courage course. to Grow is worth reading. Awesome. Well, no, that's that that's fantastic. And what you guys have done as role models just here within the community of, of Austin, Texas, and obviously, you know, I didn't know this, but obviously around the world is just absolutely, you know, phenomenal. So so cheers to you and, and cheers to Laura and everybody go check out Laura's book because it's phenomenal. Hey, Jeff, I'm honored. I'm thrilled. And I just want to say thank you for being here and sharing on cool things entrepreneurs do. If somebody listened to the show and they're like, wait, I need to know more about Jeff Sandifer. How do they find you? Well, nobody will care about Jeff Sandifer, but if you, were, if you want to learn about Acton Academy, it's Acton, A-C-T-O-N, like Lord Acton, who said uh, uh, he said the power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So go to actonacademy.org, um, and uh, there's a lot there about the school. That's fantastic. Everybody go check that out, and maybe somebody listening will be inspired to bring Acton Academy to their neck of the woods. So I hope so. Hey, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I say it every week. If it wasn't for the listeners, we wouldn't have a show. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as interesting as Jeff Sandifer. I know, I know, it's hard to do, but I'm going to figure it out. We'll get somebody. But in the meantime, I want to challenge you. Go on out there and have a great day.
day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.